Koopa, why are you packing your suitcase? And my suitcase? We finally moving to Scottsdale? Nah, ya goon. We're going to Australia. Australia? For what? We got an Outback Steakhouse just two blocks away. Now you know good and well I'm not welcome to that establishment anymore. But that's not the point. Nah, Cub. We're finally going to see Tenet. Aw, oh, great. It's just another one of your schemes. It's not a scheme. Or even a misadventure. Tenet is currently playing in Australian theaters. And the reviews are in. Critics are saying it's confusing, meandering, and humorless. So now we know for sure it's going to be good. Wow, Koopa. You thought of everything. Come on, Cobb. Now's our chance to sneak into first class. Those seats are wide open. But Cooper, aren't they closed for social distancing? Ah, perfect. We've been introverts for years, so this should be great. Ah, first class. Hey, Cobb, check it out. It's John Goodman. Cooper, you idiot. That's not John Goodman. That's Russell Crowe from Body of Lies. And he's looking right at us. Hiya, Mr. Crowe. Are you on your way to Australia to see Tenet 2? They say there is a catalyst at the heart of the cinema experience, a social contract, a binding dynamic power that lifts the cinematic experience into a realm of intimate connection between the audience and the screen and the stars in the heavens beyond. See, Cobb, he gets it. They say. But who are they? What is that music? Some conceited, pretentious fudge who try to piss in your pocket and tell you it's raining. Well, f*** that I got a movie coming out. It's called Unhinged. No fucking with you. It's called Unhinged. And it's going to be in cinemas. Off you go. Wow, Cooper, I can't believe it. I know. Who'd have thought Russell Crowe was Australian? Hey, looks like he wants to throw his phone at us. Passengers, please fasten your seatbelts. We will land shortly. Cooper, this is it. We're finally going to see Tenet. And if you're listening and you're the uncomfortable-looking American squatting in first class, we must remind you that Americans are currently not allowed off of the plane and into other countries due to their failure to contain the coronavirus. Have a nice day. Ah, uh, son of a motherfucking goddamn Ah, great. Now we gotta go back to America and watch that weird movie Russell Crowe was talking about. Cobb, I got an idea! But it requires you to use that fake British accent again. Ah, no, Cooper. Don't tell me. We're not gonna. Oh, we are. From this point forward, we're going to be British spies who- Excuse me, gentlemen. Mr. Crow has just informed me that you called his movie weird. And he's kindly requested you return to your seats until the plane is sent straight back to America, where you belong. Ah, fine. But we only have one request. Yeah, just one. Wait, what is it, Coop? We get to watch Kissing Booth 2 for our in-flight movie. <laughs> ah, Cooper, you know me too well. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni, box office columnist for Adam Tickets, staff writer for The Young Folks, and head writer of Cinemaholics.com. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. Hey, Belashin. Hello. You can find more episodes of the show, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. Be sure to write into the show if you have any feedback for us, Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you are interested in supporting 
this podcast, you can go to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash cinemaholics. You can learn all about becoming one of our donating supporters. Thank you to everyone who already is. We also have a new feature that we're excited to share with you all in Off Topics later, uh, which is a new thing where you can leave us a voicemail. We'll get to that later in the show, though. For now, we have so much to get to. We have uh, a few reviews, of course. We're going to be reviewing the new Disney Plus film, The One and Only Ivan. Uh, we also have an indie from Sundance called Tesla, and we have a YA romance, Words on Bathroom Walls. But our off-topic section has quite a few things to get to that are going to kind of balance out the show a little bit here. So let's get started. First, Extra Milestone. Our Extra Milestone classic film anniversary this week was Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which came out in 1975. So it's celebrating its 45th anniversary. And the Blues Brothers, which is celebrating, I think, uh, so that's 1980. So that's 40 years. That episode of Extra Milestone just came out. Sam Nolan had on guest, first time Cinemaholics guest, Tyler Chambers. A lot of fun. Hope you all enjoy that uh, journey through some comedic uh, masterpieces, I think it's fair to say, especially Monty Python. Uh, very infectious conversation. I was very much wanting to watch both of those movies again after listening to them talk about it. But that's Extra Milestone. It's out right now. Now, we do want to get to unhinged uh, you're probably wondering why it's not in the show title and that's because <laughs> neither of us was able to catch it at the drive-in theater this past weekend for me it's because the drive-ins i think some drive-ins were showing it but the time i was looking at maybe seeing it eh, we're, we're dealing with like closings because in northern california there are fires and uh, the air outside is like very unhealthy so it's just not a very good idea to go to a drive-in for us right now. Um, and beyond that, I wasn't interested in Unhinged anyway. I don't really want to watch it. But Will, you were planning to see it. I think you even had tickets. I didn't have tickets, no. But I was planning to see it to or yesterday, I mean. Um, but it was raining, so the weather wasn't very cooperative. And uh, yeah, so it didn't quite work out. But I am planning to see it at some point. Um, I don't know if it'll be this upcoming weekend or later this week. But I do want to see it just for the trashy pleasures that it might right. have. But uh, I don't want to go to a regular theater to see it at this point because I don't really feel it's a safe or uh, reasonable option right now. I don't think it's the type of film that I should risk myself, my life or anyone else's life to see. <laughs> so uh, I'll have to wait for that one. Agreed. Yeah, I think we're kind of in the place where we're not going to review something unless it's available at a drive-in theater. So as an option, that's safe for people. Uh, which, yeah, that it that follows or we uh, get movies over the next couple of weeks or a screener. But even then, I, if it's either screener or only like theatrical, no drive in, I think that we would probably have to have a conversation about not reviewing yeah. that film. But it's looking like stuff is hitting drive ins pretty regularly now. So I think we can avoid that. Yeah. Now, there's another movie, Chemical Hearts, uh, with Lily Reinhardt's that just came out. And uh, I've, I've heard that that's okay. I haven't seen it, but yeah. that's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, neither of us saw that as well. I think that but was a Paramount film initially that they sold possibly, to Amazon, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's getting some decent buzz. And yeah, we just didn't get to it. So that's why you're not seeing a review for it this week. Some things we have seen. I just, uh, I've been powering through a new documentary series on Netflix called High Score which is fantastic. I really, really want people to check this out. This is a limited documentary series that's kind of about kind of the big picture of how video games came to be and how they developed across pop culture from the late 70s all the way to the modern day. 
it's so much fun. Uh, there's a whole episode, for example, about how did Pac-Man come together? Uh, what is the history of Nintendo and Atari? And you get all of these uh, amazing stories that like, I had never heard before about people growing up with video games, how they came up with the inspiration of little details and things of like Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter 2. It's like so dense. Like They have an, a whole episode about the relationship between Dungeons and Dragons and like role-playing games as we see them today in games like Skyrim. It's just fascinating stuff, but it's also just really enjoyable. Like they put so much work and effects into making this thing really quirky and its own thing. It's not just a bunch of talking heads. Like you literally have, because you don't have footage of certain things that happen, they recreated a lot of things in like 8-bit and 16-bit animation. And it's just super fun. Like I keep saying fun because that like best sums up this series. It's probably my favorite video game documentary thing that's ever come out, which is saying a lot because Indie Game the movie is fantastic and it's kind of been like the gold standard for quite a while. What about King of Kong? King of Kong I haven't seen. Oh, really? Oh wow. I like that one a lot. You should watch this one because I think, mm. yeah, a lot of people are saying that this is this is definitely like one of the ones that's gonna go down as like if you want to like get your feet wet with the history of video games, this this is a really really powerful one. It gets into Donkey Kong and it gets into uh, like the inspiration of Kirby. I mean, this thing has so much information in it, and it's kind of amazing. I've seen five episodes, but I've learned so much, and even the things that I already kind of knew, I'm getting like new details of that I didn't know before, and it's fascinating. I think the only criticism you could probably lobby at it is that it's going for so many different types of stories that it, it can be a little surface level at times. Like it doesn't go as deep as you might want it to. I'd say like the biggest complaint I'd have in that department is probably with Mortal Kombat that kind of just brush over the controversy stuff and they don't really get into it, which kind of bumped me out. But uh, that said, I haven't finished the whole series, so it's very possible that it does get brought up again. And they do go back and forth across time. So it's not like things get dropped and you never get back to it. But yeah, I hope hope people are checking out High Score on Netflix. It's one of the better things to come out on Netflix, in my opinion. It sounds like a lot of people are watching it just, uh, just from looking at the scores that they have on their website. Yeah, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Uh, something that hasn't come out yet on streaming, but is about to, is The Boys Season 2. Now, by the time we release this episode, the embargo will be up. We are recording it the day before, so you know, don't tell anybody, Will. For our, to everybody listening, this was this conversation we had was on the 24th. <laughs> now, sure. I'm not going to get any details. I'm not going to spoil The Boys Season 2, but I am going to say that this show is just continuing to be so surprising and so inventive and just so dark in a way that really clicks with me. If you didn't watch season one of the boys, it came out on Amazon last summer, kind of like in the middle of like superhero fatigue. We had just gotten Avengers Endgame, Far Spider-Man Far From Home had come out. And this show is about like, what if superheroes were real and existed in our world, but they were owned by like corporations and a big like PR agency. And it's kind of making fun of the whole thing where like Superman in like the Zack Snyder universe, he kind of seems like he's sociopathic and pretending to be a Boy Scout. And it's kind of unintentional in a way because 
the graphic novel for the boys came out before Man of Steel, but the show kind of takes advantage of like our current reading of superhero cinema and just really lampoons it in a way that's like really gory and full of just like really dark material that just makes it stand out. You know, I was, I was writing my review of this for the spool and I couldn't help but think like, there's nothing about this show where it's like the best at anything. Like we have a masterpiece superhero show that's kind of like this. It's called Watchmen on HBO. And we've gotten plenty of shows and even movies that are sort of about like the people who don't have powers in a world where the superheroes are like abusing their power. Like that's been done. But the boys is really special. It's like its own thing. And season two kind of continues what I really liked about the first season. And I hope people enjoy it as much as I did. It's just eight episodes. And some of the episodes are like an hour long. And I'd say that like the first two episodes, it's kind of slow to pick back up again. And you're kind of like, all right, what what is this season really going to be? Episode three is when it crystallizes. Like from episode three to episode eight, it's this series, in my opinion, at its most bingeable and addicting. I was like so hooked. I was like, I got to know what's going to happen next because they really just go for it at that point. And it bums me out a little bit, Will, that you didn't really watch the first season because you accidentally watched the season finale because you thought Mm -hmm. it was the pilot. Yeah. I was very confused. Right. And there's so many, there's like I said before, this show is so surprising. It's so unpredictable. And there's so many things I want to talk to you about with this show, but I can't. So I hope you rectify that at some point because I'll, I, I shouldn't say it, but there is a certain cameo, a voice that happens in season two that is just chef's kiss. Uh, one of the standout show moments in of the year for me i i just really i just really love the boys and all of its quirky darkness and messed up juvenile humor uh there's certainly some people who are going to be extremely offended by it and that's probably why i'm such a big fan and that's actually a pretty decent transition into an issue i had this past weekend i this past weekend dc fandom happened and we got all of these trailers all of these like superhero trailers and because I had just watched The Boys Season 2, I think something about the way that show satirizes superhero movies in particular, like the way that they're so produced and like they, it takes like such precise aim and example for, for example, Avengers Endgame, the whole like uh, A-Force thing that happens where all of like the female Avengers are in one shot kind of arbitrarily. And the show basically takes all of the piss out of that moment. And so watching these DC trailers for like the Batman and Suicide Squad and all that stuff, I can't get this show out of my head. And I'm really worried that this show has like ruined superhero movies for me. And uh, maybe that's a reason for you not to watch it, Will, because I think you're already kind of tired of superhero movies. And I think this show would just make it worse, possibly. Uh, Plus, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is that like watching the trailer for the Batman, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is what it's like to be excited about superhero property. I know we've had a bunch of Batman movies at this point, but I don't know. I I really like that trailer. I wasn't really crazy about the other DC fandom things I saw, but I don't know. I can see what you mean. Yeah, I got to say, I I watched all that stuff and I I wasn't that like I I don't think any of the trailers like bad or anything. I, I kind of get why people like the Batman trailer. It's cool seeing Robert Pattinson, I guess. Uh, There was nothing about it, though, where I was like, wow, I've never seen a Batman movie like this. I feel like I have. 
as much as I like the whole idea of like a David Fincher styled Batman trailer or Batman movie, I should say. And like, yeah, Robert Pattinson looks pretty cool in it. It's kind of, I don't know. I just feel like I've seen this Batman movie before, like visually, aesthetically and all that stuff. Like, I don't know. There's nothing about it that's really got me that excited. But what's exciting you about it? Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't think it's like doing anything that's like, oh, wow, like this is a brand new take on uh, the Batman lore. I mean, basically every Batman movie since Nolan has basically been like the Frank Miller version of Batman. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's doing that again to a certain extent. But I I do like that this one is going for something that seems to be intentionally kind of more grounded and gritty in a way that like compared to like the last uh Dark Knight movie and then even like Batman v Superman, which is so like big and so like huge, like having it be like a real like detective story again, like because Batman, I don't know, it seems like it's kind of moved away from the whole detective angle of the character. And I, I like that this one is fully going into that side of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be like a revolution or a revelation. I mean, of the the genre, the here or the character, but uh, I don't know. It, it really got me excited. I think it's a well produced trailer and. Uh, I think Matt Reeves yeah. knows what he's doing, so I'm excited. I agree. It's funny that like we've been talking about Matt Reeves Batman movie for literally like four years. <laughs> like I think one of the it was one of the first things we talked about on Cinemaholics was this movie coming out someday. But yeah, I I guess I'm I'd kinda see where you're coming from. I guess I just I, I kind of make fun of sometimes people who say like it's, it feels like every time something comes out and Batman's in it, people are like, this understands that Batman is the world's greatest detective because he maybe does like one detective thing. <laughs> and I just feel like that always gets brought up. But then with this one, yeah, you're right. It, it does look like it's actually the story is that he's trying to solve a mystery and that's more of a detective thing. But at the same mm-hmm. time, we just sort of see him beat people up. I yeah, like the trailer. idea though. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Mean- I like the idea though that they're going for yeah, I mean, they've only filmed like 30% of the film. So it's like they only have so much footage at their mm-hmm. disposal that they can actually put a trailer for. But I think it looks cool. Like, I mean, I just wanted to know that it was in good hands. I knew it was, but it was just nice to get some confirmation that it's going to be probably a cool Batman movie. Like I said, not going to like flip the lid and like reveal something that we've never seen from Batman. I think it's just going to be like a really solid, well-made Batman movie. And, you know, I'm a sucker for Batman. I think he's fun <laughs> uh, in his own way. The, uh, the new Wonder Woman trailer looks pretty interesting. I thought the Black Adam thing was like embarrassing. What, it was what just Black like, yeah, the Black Adam trailer. I didn't see it. It's bad. It's just like nothing. It's just like animated stills and mm. the, it's like laughable. Like at one point you just sort of see the rock kind of like from the fat, like a silhouette of him clearly photoshopped in from like the fast and furious. It looks like, okay. and I don't know. I just was like, this isn't a, really a teaser. This is just like a random voiceover thing. And then also uh, the thing I was actually excited about, cause I thought the suicide squad roll call was a lot it, and not much get me excited about. Although the promo where it was like kind of behind the scenes, that was kind of cool to see like James Gunn in action. Uh, I was actually flipped the behind the scenes thing. Kind of was like whatever for me, but really, the, um, the the roll call thing I thought was kind of fun because like I didn't know all these people were in it. I mean I knew I mean, some. Yeah, of them there's were, that. But I mean I for me it was overwhelming. I was just like, geez, like <laughs> really. See, I thought the I don't know because I didn't really get anything from that like behind the scenes thing that like really made it like different to me. It just seems like it's kind of going for that kind of murky aesthetic again. That was like I was hoping James Gunn would avoid this. It, it, to me, it didn't look like that. But I don't um, know. It, like the costumes and stuff look all like dark red and brown and black. I don't know. I, I, some of the costumes are really out there, though. 
Like, except really for like, like polka dot man cheesy yeah i mean that yeah. stuff yeah i like i thought that all the polka dot man stuff was fun and yeah. i i really like uh, um what's his face king shark the way he looks looks great i'm excited about that and i'm excited to see the film i just didn't Speaking get of which yeah i'd say the suicide squad on i you probably didn't look into that but the rocksteady game where like the suicide squad has to like kill superman i thought that was really cool i, I, I was really it. into that yeah that's that's like it. That was like so much more fun to watch than anything I saw in a trailer hmm. uh, from DC this past weekend. To be totally honest with you, and it's it's the same people who made the Arkham games, so it's just neat to see like them doing something totally different. You know, like it's in the daylight, and it's these like villainous characters instead of like a Batman adventure. I don't know. That to me felt like something different. Like felt like something we haven't really seen before, and so I'm I'm a little bit more excited about that. To be totally honest. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing I saw besides the Suicide Squad uh, videos and the um, Batman trailer was the trailer for the Justice League Snyder Cut. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I hope it's good. I, I mean, you know, I wasn't really a fan of uh, Justice League, to put it mildly. So I would definitely rather see a version of Justice League that's better. But what I saw in that trailer didn't really convince me. It was like, oh, this is going to be the superior, like supreme version. Like, it seems like it's going to be better. Like, Ben Affleck seems more into it. But like, I don't really I, nothing I saw in that trailer, like blew me away, per se. Like, it just was like, yeah, I mean, just looks like I other mean, footage. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it blew me away, but it did sort of get my hopes up a bit more. I'm still planning to check it out. I don't know. It was intriguing. It was a little bit more of like. It did feel like something that was kind of coming from Zack Snyder and not like a studio note ridden kind of amalgamation like edited down to the bone right like i don't know it looked like a movie and so that's why i'm kind of like yeah i'll see that like it it could be good some of like the like cg stuff looked kind of like too murky for me as well like it looked like i don't know it didn't really visually appeal to me but like all like the shots like the football field stuff i thought that looked great like your traditional kind of like snyder slow-mo stuff i think you know that's cool like the uh casey what's her name from uh dope um she was in the trailer for a few minutes and I, I don't remember her from justice league so i'm assuming her role is going to be uh pretty organic to this version, she's she's uh iris west right i think so yeah i mean i remember she wasn't in the um the film version so i i, I mean that, that's exciting to see but um yeah i did like that the trailer like the way they set it up was like you know all the heroic big stuff and then there's like a pause and it seems like they're gonna lead up to like a laugh line at the end but they're like no jokes we don't want anyone to think this is the just the Josh Wheaton one. Don't yeah. end on a joke. Just end them saying, I don't know. I forget what they said, but it just seemed United like it was building up. We stand or yeah, or something. It, is, it was like building up to like a joke, but then like someone in the editing was just like, no jokes. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it looks like fun. But um, that was the DC fandom event. Lots of stuff we're probably going to see for sure, including Wonder Woman, which is only a month away or so. Supposedly, uh, a little yeah. over a month, but yeah. Before we get into our reviews this week, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but we have a new feature for Cinemaholics where we are now playing your voicemails on the show. So we have an account on this app called Swell. I'll link to it in the show notes, of course. But all you have to do is open up this app on your phone. It works on iOS and Android. And we are leaving prompts and questions and things. And so far, we've actually gotten a lot of responses. And so we actually had to choose. I was a little worried. Well, I was like, uh, we, hopefully we will get like one voicemail, maybe, right? Uh, but we actually got a really good range. And so if you don't hear your voicemail right now, uh, we're, we're hoping to sort of like get through a lot of them. So you'll, you know, keep trying. You'll probably show up eventually. Uh, but it was kind of hard to choose, to be totally honest. But 
Uh, one of the prompts we put out there, and the first one we're going to do is what is a movie you have seen more than once in 2020? Uh, we asked all of you, all right, new, old, in between. We want to hear your picks. What's a what's a movie you, for whatever reason, in quarantine, or even if it was like early in the year and just revisited it uh, in the last little while, which just a movie you've seen at least twice in 2020. It doesn't have to be a new movie. It could be you know, a classic movie. I certainly rewatch things quite a bit. I think I've already mentioned the Dolce Vita is one that I've seen a few times this year. But uh, this answer, this voicemail comes to us from Joe. And please, as always, let us know your name and in the voicemail and also where you're from. And this is what Joe had to say. I don't really watch movies twice much anymore. And that's why this is even more embarrassing for me because the film that I have seen twice in 2020, the... Uh, the kissing booth and uh i can hear you laughing already but look here's what happened so i i watched it alone once my girlfriend was out taking her niece shopping i was uh laying in bed in a rainy sunday and i was like hey what's all the fuss about let's see so i watched it and i was like hey you know it's a typical uh teen you know kind of rom commy film and they were smart they they implemented some 80s music and they threw Molly Ringwald in there, you know, so you lure in my demographic where we're like, it's not, it's kind of somewhat palatable, I guess. So then what happened was after I watched it, then my girlfriend wanted to watch it. I could have saved myself a viewing there. So I ended up, we were laying in bed one night, I'm drawing on the iPad and she's watching the kissing booth and I kind of saw it twice. Um, so yeah, these are my sins. All right. Thank you, Joe, for uh, sending us that voicemail on the Swell app. I don't know, Will, what do you think? Uh, Kissing Booth. I feel like it's a movie we talked about, probably the movie we talked about the <laughs> most on Cinemaholics without actually watching it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like our friends uh, Cobb and Cooper are real big fans of it, surprisingly. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I'm sure they're going to appreciate that voicemail more than anybody. Yeah, yeah. at least uh, Cobb will. I don't know about Cooper, but we'll see. Uh, the next question we're going to be playing a voicemail from, we asked the listeners, what is a recent Netflix movie or show you wish more people had seen? We've already gotten some responses for this, but if you want to send us your response, you definitely still can. Just head on over to the Swell app. Again, that's on iOS and Android and find the prompt and respond. Let us know. You just leave your voice for us and we will maybe play it later this week or next week's show. All right, let's get into our first review of the week. Let's talk about the one and only Ivan. Let's give him a great show, okay? The one and only Ivan! Why do they want an angry gorilla anyway? You're a silverback. He terrifies humans. (laughs) (laughs) You're not terrifying. Who's that? My sister. Where's your sister now? I don't remember. Memories never leave us. They just get out of reach. Whoa. Did you draw all these? A gorilla. Who draws? What is it? Don't tell me, don't tell me. It's a lonely haystack on a late summer day. It's a beetle. The one and only Ivan is a new kind of family sort of like feel good comedy ish movie slash drama. It's like that genre, right? It's like, it's for the kids. It's for the parents. You know, for kids. 
Yeah, it's clean fun. Yeah, good clean fun. This comes to us from uh, Thea Shirak, who I'm not as familiar with. Uh, she did uh, Me Before me You. For you, yeah, yeah. Like, that's like the only one I think I've seen. Uh, I think actually, does, uh, I think that's her only uh, movie mm-hmm. that she's directed. I think at least her only feature film, because I know she does a lot of um, like British theater, I think. I remember right. reading something about that. So she is an established director, but a pretty novice filmmaker. I think that is the case. Yes. So the one and only Ivan is her follow up, her second film. And I think this was originally supposed to uh, be shown in theaters. It was going to get a theatrical release and it's kind of been in the works for a long time. I think we first heard about this movie back in like 2014, but then they were just late to just make it. I know it got like pushed back a lot. Like I think there were like two or three release dates for this before it came to Disney plus, if I remember correctly. I believe that's the case. Yeah, they just kind of push this thing around until finally it's coming out now on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I'm not sure if it's if it would have ever shown up in theaters or if this was just one of those things where it's like, yeah, this works out. We need something for Disney+, Plus and doesn't really make sense to put this in a drive-in right now. So here it is. I think it might, if, if we didn't have COVID going on, kind of same with Arnold's I think they might have tried to push this in theaters, but I don't think they would have given it a like huge release this might be like one of those like labor day weekend kind of movies where it's just like it's out if you want to go see something but like they're not expecting like more than 30 million at the box office that's the vibe i get disney does like to release like kind of smaller quieter august films right like queen Queen of codway was one of those movies and Pete's dragon like they they come out with some kind of like smaller sort of family thing where they, they don't really know what to do with it marketing wise and they're just hoping that enough see it Enough people see it to pay back the budget. And here it is in the last part of August. It's uh, one of the last films of the summer. Now, the screenplay is from Mike White, who also voices one of the characters. And Mike White is a little bit more well-known, I think, uh, to some of the listeners, I assume. He's one of my favorite writers, yeah. Yeah, Freaks and Geeks, uh, Dawson's Creek, uh, Stepford Rives. I think he, I know he was in. I don't know if he like worked on it at all. But one of the, one of the movies I know that you love, Pitch Perfect 3. I'm joking. That's obviously. the only one I think I, of his I haven't seen, if I if I really? recall correctly. Yeah, I think I've seen I've even seen the Emoji movie. So, um, yes, that's right. He was a writer, yeah. one of the many writers on the Emoji movie. But uh, also, he directed uh, uh, Brad Status. I think that was one mm-hmm. of the last things. And uh, mm-hmm. Year of the Dog with Molly Shannon. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen yeah. that one. Um, and that was my, his first film. Yeah, so my favorite is probably either School of Rock or Chuck and Buck, which I've talked to you a lot about Chuck and Buck. I love that movie. Yeah. Not for everybody, but um, if you really like like a kind of weird indie dark comedy, that's definitely one to check out. And he gives a great performance in that. Now, this new movie, The One and Only Ivan, is about a group of zoo animals who they perform in kind of a small miniature circus that is inside of a mall, like a shopping mall called the Big Top Mall. And our main character is a silverback gorilla who he and the animals can talk to each other, but the humans can't understand them. It's that kind of movie, right? And the ringleader of the entire circus is named Mac. He's played by Brian Cranston. And he and Ivan have been like kind of performing together for a long, long, long time. Ivan is voiced by Sam Rockwell. And at the beginning of the movie, we sort of get introduced to all the other animals, and they're all kind of voiced by different creatures. I got a real kick out of like the elephant being uh, the voice of Angelina Jolie. I got like Kung Fu Panda vibes a little bit. And uh, we have a a chicken character played by um, Chaka Khan, 
for some reason. And we have uh, th- this I cast. Mean, why not? Well, so we just got to go through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because it's like it's so random to me. But OK, so there is a stray dog named Bob played by Danny DeVito, a poodle played by Helen Mirren. There is a baby elephant voiced by Brooklyn Prince and then a white rabbit voiced by Ron Funkis, who is I, I, uh, I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about him in this. And then Viltasu voices a parrot. Fun, is, is it, it Funches? I thought it was Funches. I could be wrong. I, could I mean, be. you're asking. Sure. You're asking me. I, I mean, I'm never good with and the names, we, but yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. But then also uh, we mentioned Mike White, who voices the seal and uh, a few other actors in this as well. But uh, those are the big ones. So the storyline is that Ivan is kind of like the headliner of this circus. This is based on not only a, I believe it's based on both a book and also a real life story that was turned mm-hmm. into a book, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and yeah. the whole idea is that like Ivan can, is kind of like a, even though he has this like exterior of like, he has to roar and be mean. And that's what gets people to come in through the door. He's actually really sensitive and he likes to draw and he has like a softer side and not everybody sees it. And events transpire from there. Now, I should also say this movie kind of takes place in like, it seems like the late 80s, early 90s, somewhere around then. So it's, it's a period piece in a lot of ways. Uh, you kind of, they don't explicitly say it, but you can really tell that it's kind of a different era. But all right, one and only Ivan, what did you think of this Disney Plus movie, Will? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I just checked. Um, there was one other Mike White movie I haven't seen. It was Dead Man on Campus. That was his first film. But I've seen everything else, just to clarify, uh, including Enlightened, which is a show I love on HBO. But anyway, to answer your question, um, yeah, this movie, I didn't really know what to expect going in, because like we said, I from all the delays and just like the kind of uh, Disney just dragging their feet throughout the release process for this. I was like, is this bad? Is this like, so, is there something they want to hold off with this? And I think it was just because it was just a smaller film that they didn't really know if they could make their money back or not, I'm guessing, because it's actually a pretty charming, sweet little movie. I mean... It's not something you haven't seen before. Like a lot of the beats are very familiar. The story itself is certainly kind of following a formula if you've seen for a lot of these family movies, especially ones that ba- are based on like animals being in captivity. Um, it does follow a lot of those tropes in a lot of those familiar formats. But uh, the performances themselves are really quite good. I mean, I definitely think this is some of the best use of uh, Brian Cranston's talents that I've seen since Breaking Bad. I mean, a lot of his recent film works have been kind of pressing too hard for the hammy side of him and i think this movie it kind of had him play that up a little bit for the character but it also showed his more sensitive sweet side in a way that i liked a lot and i also really enjoyed um sam rockwell's performance as well as brooklyn prince uh certainly more so than uh the turning which is a pretty uh disappointing film for uh brooklyn prince as far as a follow-up to the flora project but yeah i mean it's not one that i'm gonna be like remarking upon as the years pass or like oh yeah like being wistful about this film but for the time being as a lazy sunday movie i thought it was quite charming you know i think i was just in the right headspace for this we should say really short movie hour and 30 minutes about an hour 35 and you know it's been kind of crazy in the bay area i kind of mentioned before it's just lots of fires and like the air outside is just so smoky and so i've been kind of shut in even more than usual and so this morning, I just kind of was like, all right, time to watch this one and only Ivan, which I didn't really know much about the story. I just kind of the, knew the voice cast and some of the stuff we had talked about last week. And I, this movie kept my attention and it just kind of made me feel good right now at a time when I really needed it. So I, I agree. I think this thing is pretty charming. 
And I think this thing is a sweet little movie. I did, it didn't knock my socks off or anything. I think that uh, you, we can definitely remark on the things that work uh, were a little bit more pronounced and some of the things I thought were a little whatever. Uh, for one thing, I, I did have that experience where I was watching the movie and I was like, is this all the movie's going to be? But then it kind of surprises you. It goes back and forth. See, I had that reaction, but I was like, I'm glad. Like, oh, it's just, oh, it's just going to be this. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of like that it's not busy and it's not like frantic like a lot of uh, right. family movies are right now where it's like trying too hard to like do pop culture references on this. It's just like an extended right. fart joke. But other than that, it's a pretty kind of timeless film. Like, they don't even really make it so it's like any particular year. Like, they show like the newspaper pretty prominently and like the news in a way that kind of gives it an old fashioned feel in a good mm-hmm. way, I felt. But this, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, I think what you're trying to say is this is this year's Joker. Right. Okay. That's <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure they'd be really interested to hear that comparison that the yeah, filmmakers, I, I mean, I can't wait to see the poll quote for that. Yeah. On the, this year's the Joker. <laughs> Cinemaholics. Yeah. <laughs> With a uh, Ivan smiling face on the poster. <laughs> but it's like the finger paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just throwing that white stuff on his face. And I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> I really, no, I just, I really enjoyed this. It's just a sweet little unassuming contained movie. I also, yeah, Sam Rockwell and Brooklyn Prince, you know, I, we've gotten so used to Sam Rockwell being these really annoying, like racist characters. It was kind of nice to see him be like kind of more of the mentor loner kind of character mm-hmm. we've seen in things like way back. And then also it's always great to see or hear Brooklyn Prince, you know, who really impressed us with Florida project. And I think, uh, she's she's been in like a few things here and there since, but uh, nothing that's been I think nearly as beloved as Florida Project. Yeah, I think I've only seen the turning. That's the only thing I can th- remember off the top of my head that I've seen her in after the Florida Project. There's like one or two other things, yeah, that escaped me that she's been a part of. But yeah, yeah, I, I can't say that she's somebody who we've seen her best work already. I think she's just one of the up and comers. Period. But yeah. I, also, Angelina Jolie produced this, and I think that like she and DeVito, I, I don't know, there was something I think a little bit weird about those characters, and I, I wish, there were times when I wish like some of the characters got more and other characters got less. Like We go through like an extended part of the movie where we barely see any of the other animals, and we spend mm-hmm. most of, like the vast majority of our time with the dog, the gorilla, and the elephant. And I was sure. like, okay, well... You have this really funny rabbit like right there who just loves being in a fire truck. And it's like the cutest thing. And Ron, I think you said Funchies. I, he just, Funches, yeah. I don't know. He really owns that like persona. I don't know. I, I thought th- I thought I Murphy the rabbit was very cute. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good character. I just didn't really think there was as much there. I think they handled it well because I don't know if there's really a lot there. Probably. <laughs> as far as, like, I mean, I think it's kind of like a one joke premise. And it's like same as like the chicken and the others. Like I think. Like in theory, I get what you're saying, but I felt like there was they weren't as like dynamic as characters. They're just kind of psych gags. That's what you mean. You it would have been too busy. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. So I don't it would have been like Doolittle all over again. I just don't think it would have worked. We do have like a cute kid and, and her dad and there's some problems at home, you know, like typical family kids, movie drama stuff. And we also have just kind of like this pretty competent writing just sort of brings it all together. I thought I was a little worried over the course of the movie that there was sort of I don't know. They were trying to almost make Brian Cranston's character like too villainous when they needed him to be, or like more of an antagonist, but it was like, it was confusing. And it, it was also a little confusing at times of like, what is this movie really trying to say? It's trying to say something kind of deep about the difference between captivity and security. 
And mm-hmm. I think they kind of nailed it, actually. Like, I I was worried and concerned that the movie was going to sort of end by, I don't know, just not uh, reckoning with these, like, surprisingly big questions. But then it ended up being about that in, in a way that I thought was pretty satisfying. Of Like, you know, there, there should probably be, like, a balance between, you know, being in a place where, like, you're not shut in and just, like, contained. And, oh, no, Will Ashen, is this a movie that is relevant? to our current times well if it is it seems like the message you're implying is that we need to go out more and be <laughs> roaming which would not be the good message for right now uh just like this movie where we're sending mixed messages aren't we uh, no yeah. I, I ultimately i don't think it does that i just think uh to what you're saying about cranston i thought that it's a great performance but i think there were times when i didn't quite get him i don't know there, i felt like something was missing with that character of just his like devotion to this big top circus. And like there were times I was like, are we supposed to hate this guy or are we supposed to feel like, sad for him? I didn't I'd get it. I mean, considering this is a Disney film, I didn't expect him to be like too much one side or the other. Like I actually kind of liked those a little bit more varied in that respect, but I do agree that like there are times where they kind of push, like he's almost kind of too manipulative or like even maybe abusive. And then like kind of push back. Cause like I said, it's a Disney film. It's like, well, we don't want to like, send yeah. that like we don't like they, they want you kind of like brian cranston at least a little bit so it's like they don't want to push that too far but i don't know i thought they handled it fairly well i can see what you mean but i mean i think the point got crossed like you said so I, it didn't really bother me in the end i guess they just yeah they they don't they want it to be a little bit more of like you know not all humans are bad and they'll surprise you and they're kind of playing up into that theme and yeah i guess uh there was never like a, an outright villain, which is kind of nice for a movie like this. Like you never had a point where, you know, like the mayor would show up being like, yeah. unless your talent show raises $3,000. Shutting the down center. the mall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's nothing like that. And we're going to make an amusement park. <laughs> yeah. It's not Dumbo. Uh, yeah. But even though it, there were times when I was like, Oh, it kind of is. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah it, I think the theatrical budget, kind of made this a little bit like more impressive uh, in terms of like the effects i thought the effects were pretty decent yeah I thought so especially too. for ivan yeah i mean I, th- I thought they did a nice job you know you can kind of tell it's not like big big budget but like considering what the yeah. budget probably was which is kind of more mid-budget it was certainly impressive as far as special effects considering too that like the special effects are so prominent throughout the film as well so yeah i was impressed by those yeah agreed i was actually really surprised to be honest that you know i was I was reading some of the other reviews after I watched this and I was like, oh, this is kind of sweet. You know, it's not Paddington, but it's it's a fun little kids movie. And I saw a lot of negative reviews. I saw a lot of people just being like, ah, this is tedious and ah, this is boring and lame and it didn't keep my attention. And I don't know. I, I don't I don't really see where those reviews are coming from. I was yeah. very curious to read them. I, I guess I just I got something out of this that and it sounds like you did, too, to an extent that I guess other people just weren't. I think kids will like this. It's pretty. I think it's good. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I thought that, um, yeah, my, my only real complaint is that it's just kind of formulaic as far as its approach. But sure. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not it's not done poorly, like it's done well. Right. And I think you can kind of tell that Mike White, is, Mike White is here as like a writer for hire. But I do think he influences the script in a way that makes it a little bit more robust than I think maybe like a hackier version of the script would have been. Like, I think he did a nice job overall. And I do think uh, what's the director's name? Thea. Thea, um, Thea Sherrick. Sure. Yeah, I thought, you know, she had a nice kind of gentle influence throughout the film. You know, it's like you said, kind of like unassuming, 
you know, kind of refrained in a lot of different ways. I was not expecting for a film like this where like another director would kind of make it a little bit more like busy and like active. And I felt like this movie respected the younger audiences to just kind of let things be a little bit more casual and kind of let things play out in a more kind of progressive fashion. So, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I wasn't like blown away by it, but I certainly was charmed and I found it very appealing. You know, I was going to give this a B minus, but you brought up something that, you know, I have to push the grade down a bit. It's false advertising, this movie, because you said it was formulaic. We've seen other movies like this before, so it's not the one and only Ivan. Sure. So that's a C minus yeah. for me. Hmm. Now nah, I'm a B minus yeah, on the, this one. I think it's fun. I do think, yeah, that Neil deGrasse Tyson should have came in and been like, there's also Ivan the Terrible, Ivan Drago, Ivan Reitman, you know, just something that would have clarified that like, He's not the one only Ivan, you know, something that would have made things a little bit clear in that respect. But yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I certainly found it very appealing. I, I would give it a B minus myself. I, I, I thought, you know, it won't be something I'm going to like, like I said before, remark upon like years from now and be like, oh, you know, like that was a real like high mark for Disney. It's like a real solid kind of like B level effort where I can kind of see like they probably didn't have their hopes up just because it's like we said, kind of like kind of smaller and, and like not as busy as these other films. So maybe they just thought like kids might've been bored by it or just not as interested as they might've been, which is a shame. Cause I, I think like you were saying, like they, it has a little bit more trust and faith in its younger audiences to kind of, you know, have something that's a little bit more res- uh, reserved and kind of more patient and kind of like letting things play out in a fairly sweet, uh, on uh, unassuming fashion. So, you know, I'd like to see more kids films like this. I think it's nice and charming and, you know, something that easily could be appealing to uh, a wide audience because like none of the content's offensive. I'm pretty sure it's a G film. Like, I don't think it even pushes PG. I might be wrong about that, but um, sure. yeah, I, I mean, maybe it might be a little PG because some of like the animal actions and stuff, but I don't know. It, it's a real light PG if it is. So there is, yeah, there's definitely. a really edgy chicken cross the road joke that I yeah, think that, will probably that was a, yeah, turn that, that might've, that might offend a few audiences in the certain regions. So, all right. Well, uh, this this heartwarming little flick is uh, B minus for me. B minus for Will. Uh, the reviews aren't that bad. I, I, the reviews I saw were more negative, but I just looked at the Rotten Tomatoes. It's like seventy one percent, which you know that sounds about right. Seventy one percent of critics at least kind of liked it, like we do. So, I guess that's uh, pretty much in line with what we're talking about. And yeah, it's kind of weird too because I feel like. 2020 in general has been we've we've had so many reviews where it just feels like every movie or most movies are like on the edge of like they're either c plus or b minus that's like our line i guess of like either we recommend it as a b minus or above or we don't really recommend it as a c plus or lower so this one's like a high b minus but I'd, i'd be curious to look at like our catalog of grades and see like how many movies have like fallen in that zone of like right at the line of like, is it okay? Or did you like it? I think that's not unintentional because I think studios are just at this moment kind of throwing out the things they don't have full faith in or something that they're like, you know, it's like maybe they're not like against it, but like, you know, certainly like Artemis Fowl or something like that, where it's just like, they had no faith in that. They knew it was bad. And just like, just put it on Disney plus, but there's like exceptions, like obviously like Hamilton and things like that, where it's like, they clearly they're good stuff. They just like, they wanted something to kind of, uh, tied audiences during this period but yeah for the most part i think it's stuff that they're just kind of like they want to get their hands off of and uh and yeah i mean it's not going to produce like b or higher level movies but you know if it's just if it's stuff like this where it's just appealing but slight i'll take it for sure agreed all right well that is the one and only ivan it is currently available to stream if you have a disney plus subscription 
All right, our next film is a biopic about Nikola Tesla. It is called, fittingly, Tesla. Written and directed by Michael Almereda, who uh, is probably best known for Hamlet, which also starred the star of this movie, Ethan Hawke. Ethan mm-hmm. Hawke plays Nikola Tesla himself. We have a narrator, Eve Hewson, who also plays Anne Morgan. We also have Kyle MacLachlan playing Thomas Edison, Jim Gaffigan playing George Westinghouse. It's quite the cast. And this is ISC Films. It is right now in a limited theatrical release. I don't know if it's in drive-ins, but it is on video on demand, so you can rent it or buy it right now for the normal price. The film is, like I said, it's it's about Nikola Tesla's life, but it kind of tackles more of like the middle part of his life. And we sort of see like from when he was an employee for Thomas Edison to kind of like on the outs, like kind of like at the beginning of the 20th century. So we're looking at kind of a period of time between the uh, mid 1880s to the early 1900s. And the film catalogs really like the the fall, barely rise, fall again, slight modicum of rise of Tesla and his inventions. Uh, He's best known for inventing alternating electrical currents. And his big issue in history is that he never really got credit for a lot of the things that he inspired the invention of, including the radio, for example. The film, of course, touches on that. It touches on his rivalry with Thomas Edison um, in terms of patents and being able to get government and investor backing on all of his projects. And the movie kind of examines a person who, you know, some people kind of refer to Tesla as kind of just like this brilliant underdog, this guy who really got screwed over. This movie is kind of interesting because it tackles the sort of darker side of who Tesla apparently was. He was a bit of a recluse. He was very antisocial. His entire life was his inventions. And it, it, there's a there's a dark kind of complicated story to what this guy went through, and that's something this movie certainly has on its mind. The other thing it has on its mind is how do we make this not a boring biopic, and kind of doing everything possible to sort of like flash up the cinematography and filmmaking style to make it look like something very different than what you would expect from something like this. We've already gotten the current war, which is a little bit more of a straightforward biographical film, and this one is just. A lot weirder. There are certain scenes where you see like the backdrop of like a, it's clearly like a soundstage and they're like purposely making it look like a nostalgia critic sketch. Like it's that kind of like production quality. It's not really fair to Michael. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's just kind of how I feel. Like literally, I, like <laughs> I got more of a play vibe. Like There's such a like, green screen vibe to it. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, but like to me, like, like kind of the use of um, like kind of like drawn background and stuff like that like i got more of like a play vibe like something like kind of more theatrical in that sense but yeah there are a couple shots where it's like very like clearly green screen in a way that was like oh okay well i mean i guess this is more of an aesthetic thing or else the budget really ran out this shot (laughs) there's a lot of like contextualizing and breaking the fourth wall Uh, i mentioned that eve hewson who plays ann morgan narrates the film there are times when she literally stops the film in its tracks and is like hey, let's do a Google search of Nikola Tesla. You know, it's just kind of like putting in all of these asides. Like it's like the movie is constantly trying to assure you that you are going to learn something about Tesla that maybe you didn't know before. I guess ultimately I was just a little disappointed by this movie. I, I just didn't find any of its quirks 
all that electric, I guess, to be that annoying pun person. I, I don't know. I, there was nothing about this movie that really just made me feel like it was worth the experience. It was just kind of like a ho-hum trying to be creative. But to me, it just looked like they were trying to cover up for a very, very low budget. So, But what did, what did you think of this movie, Will? Um, yeah, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I just watched it a couple hours ago, so it's still fresh in my mind. Um, I mean, you didn't see the current war, right? I did not. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I knew we talked about it or I talked about it, but I, I, I thought I didn't. You hadn't seen it. But um, I mean, it's hard not to compare it to that since that just came out like a year or so ago. And I, I do believe that film's kind of trying to do something pretty similar where like the cinematography was super flashy and the editing was obviously trying to make it a little bit more modern. And I think this one, it does it in ways that I think when it works, it really works well in a way that like I, I didn't find those choices to be super gimmicky because a lot of them were trying to express something that's you know obvious but kind of works for this uh project which is like obviously he's ahead of his time like thinking beyond like the the com the confines of his uh time and what's available for him in like the early uh like 1900 or uh 1900 or whatever so um yeah, yeah i mean i think that sense like it, it makes sense it's a little on the nose but i mean I admire it for trying that. And if anything, I kind of wish it had more of those choices because I could see some audiences being like, oh, like Thomas Edison's pulling out a smartphone or like, you know, Nikola Tesla is like seeing karaoke now. And it's like those choices are weird and they take people out of it. But for me, like those choices are like, oh, okay, this is kind of drawing me in because it's like this is a little bit different. It kind of gives it a little bit of a flash, a little bit of something that like makes it stand out compared to other biopics but i think it helps and hurts the project at the same time because it's like those scenes stand out so well to the point where like the kind of more traditional biopic stuff uh kind of feels a little bit flatter and feels a little bit you know like right. it, do it doesn't have the same spark i guess as those other moments where it clearly feels like the director is kind of trying to do something a little bit more playful a little bit more intriguing and uh, yeah, like you said, the budget in this is uh, I didn't really realize that going in, but it definitely feels apparent <laughs> uh, and I, in a way that like you don't really want to criticize it too much. because It's like, you know, it's a labor of love. And I, I imagine like, you know, he he put whatever money he had into the movie. So it's not like I think he like was trying to make it look cheap. I think it's just kind of like a uh, side project of what he was going for. But I mean, it does unfortunately kind of give a like drunk history kind of feel at times because it clearly is like a bunch of sets and you know like we'll have like jim gaffigan be george westinghouse and i thought he did a fine job but like it's a little jarring at first to be like okay that's not jim gaffigan that's george westinghouse <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and you know like a couple other comedic actors kind of pop in a way that you know kind of gives that drunk history feel but i don't think it's intentional but it does kind of make it a little harder to get into the project and a little bit harder to kind of take it on its own terms and not look at it as like a movie or like something that's like trying to do a narrative dramatization of this story. And so I think that was my issue throughout the film was that like, I admire these choices throughout. Like that's the main thing I felt was like, I really appreciate what the movie's doing. I really like that. He's trying to do something. that's a little bit more off the cuff, but like a lot of these choices uh, ultimately don't fully invest me into the story in a way that I felt like I could really grapple with like what's going on here and really relate to tesla even though i do find this to be a pretty personal film for the filmmaker uh it seems like tesla's like uh trouble to f earn funding or like kind of like get his ideas off the ground through like yeah. uh money it seems like that's very much like a like autobiographical thing for the filmmaker i mean I haven't i haven't seen his other films but that's just from what i've read and from what i've seen that seems to be a pretty autobiographical choice for the film and i like that and i think that's an interesting idea but yeah like you i, I find myself uh kind of uh on the fence as far as how successful i ultimately think it is i did see one of his last films marjorie prime 
and yeah, kind of like that. This movie, yeah. I think it's hard to it's hard to make this particular criticism because Almereda has worked on so many films, but this reminds me of the old adage of like you can't break the rules until you know what the rules are, and it just feels like this film breaks rules for the sake of it, and not really in a way that aids the story or advances the story. It just feels like it breaks rules to sort of get your attention, which um, I guess is a version of what you're saying. I I agree and don't. Oh, well, here, here's an example. This is the example that I used for my review for the young folks. Okay. There's, there's a whole thing where we get introduced to Jim Gaffigan's character where he's George Westinghouse. And you, the whole point of this character, like what makes this character interesting is there's a paradox to him that he's a businessman and he's an inventor. But instead of letting the movie reveal that like weird personality through Jim Gaffigan's performance, it kind of just does all of the work at you right before you meet him. And it's like, it just does like a bunch of like vignettes of who this guy is instead of just letting you naturally organically experience this larger than life persona. So yeah. th that's what I kind of mean is like, it's, it's trying to like, Hey, don't get bored. You know, I, I'm going to explain this. Don't worry. It's like kind of like doing the Adam McKay and the big short thing where we're like, we got to stop the movie in order to, to get something across. And that's the right. thing that like was jarring to me. And it was just like, I, I don't like it when you do this, just let the story speaks for itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's where I kind of agree and disagree in that. Like, yeah, I, I felt like those choices, they prevented me from really getting invested in the story because the movie's constantly taking you out to like explain things. And I agree with you in that respect. Like I get that the movie is like constantly kind of doing like different things to uh, push itself away from your traditional biopic format to the point where it does kind of make the actual biopic stuff feel a little bit more artificial as a result. But I do think that the filmmaker knows what he's doing here more than you suggest. Like, I think those choices are very meticulous. Like, I think this is a project that's been in the works since like the eighties or so. And I think it was actually the first screenplay that he wrote. So it's like one that he's been tinkering with for a long time. And I think he put a lot of thought and a lot of uh, creative energy into this. I just think that maybe because he's been sitting on it for so long or been working on it for so many years that like, maybe it got a little overcooked in the process. Like maybe there's just so many things he was trying to do uh, in such a short span of time that it didn't really fully communicate in a way that made it organic to the story. Uh, that's just my read of it at least. I think I, this is honestly one of the rare times where I think the ending of the movie is the best part of it. You know, I think that once you get to like the tennis court scene and mm -hmm. this whole extended sequence featuring just like totally anachronistic mm -hmm. uh, Ethan Hawke just kind of going for it, all of that stuff was where I was like, see, this is this is subverting the biopic format in a way that I can connect. I can invest in a story through scenes like this. And it was the only yep. time in the movie where I fully was able to do that. It sounds like there were a few times you, you were able to do it. But yeah, for me, yep. it was a, probably a little bit more limited. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, it was real back and forth. Like, I, I, I think there's something to like the rollerblading scene, for instance, that's like kind of uh, yeah, oddly ice charming cream. in a way. Yeah, the ice cream stuff was fine. I wasn't really as crazy about that, but I appreciated from the onset just being like, oh, yeah, OK, just so you know, we're going to be a little weird with this. <laughs> um, but yeah, like or the. um like the pie and seam like that stuff. Like, I think those moments stand out to me more on reflection than your kind of more traditional biopic elements and a way that like those scenes kind of felt so traditional against the other parts of film that they, they had a more artificial feel to it. Like I was saying in a way that was like, it just kind of took me out of it in a way that I wasn't fully able to invest in the film, unfortunately. But like I said, I appreciate everything that he's doing. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas here. And I, I think he has a lot of reverence for Tesla and, and, uh, 
he puts a lot of himself into this project in a way that makes it stand out compared to a kind of more, I guess, ho-hum biopic. But in the end, I just don't really think it connected with me as much as it did with us, uh, with some audiences that really enjoyed this thing. I think this movie, it's so close, so close to me being like, yes, and it did it. And we had a Tesla movie that I can be like, this is the Tesla movie you should watch. But yeah, not quite for me. I think that this is like a C plus. Uh, like you, I do admire the effort. I admire swinging for the fences and just trying to do different things, not trying to do the same old biopic thing. But unfortunately, this just wasn't a movie that I thought did it as effectively as I think it could have. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of sad. It kind of like mirrors Tesla himself. I think it's that's pretty readily apparent to me that you can make a lot of comparisons between this movie and the person, which maybe that's maybe that's sort of the point. I don't know. But uh, yeah, C plus for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I land somewhere close to where I did with uh, The Current War, which is a a film I remember thinking like this is almost there. Like it's like a lot of the elements are working. Some scenes are fantastic. It's just like the product itself in that case was like super messy. And I felt like it just didn't really uh, come together in a way that I felt was uh, worthy of all the passion and inspiration. I went to the like the filmmaking of it. And this one, I'm similar but different. I'm like. I think this comes it's a little bit more well-rounded like I think the story itself is fine I just think it just doesn't really indulge its weird side as much as I was hoping it would like it does to a decent extent to the point where it's like there's a lot of memorable scenes and a lot of things that I think will make this fresher on my mind than some other biopics I've seen of late that that don't really try to do as many experimental things but in the end similar to you I just don't I don't know if the choices themselves work as much as the uh, filmmaker hoped they did. And I guess uh, compared to some audiences, as much as some other people thought it did. So I'm really between a C plus, a high C plus and a low B minus. I think at this point, I'll give it a super low B minus with the caveat that the grade could change by next week to a C plus. You're just you're breaking your system. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting scared. You're scaring me again. I, I try and mix it up. You know, I, I'm like uh, the filmmaker here. I try to do something a little <laughs> yeah, different yeah. each time. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. Well, uh, sort of a high-ish C plus for me, low B minus for Will. It's just, yeah, it's really on the line there. I, th- I do recommend this to a lot of our listeners who are sort of completists, who are film buffs. Uh, maybe you really like Ethan Hawke and, and First Reformed and a lot of his more indie performances. Yeah. I think it is worth watching just sort of as like a, an experimentation expert, uh, effort. Yeah, I will say, though, that like if you're watching the trailer for this and you're like, wow, this is really whizzy. It's like doing something that's going to be revolutionary. Just keep in mind that a lot of the like kind of more experimental stuff is in the trailer. Like just I mean, I watched the trailer after I saw the movie. I was like, they kind of gave away a lot more things than I anticipated. Uh, I never saw the trailer. So, yeah, I didn't. I, I'll just give that uh, that caveat real quick, I guess. But, you know, I, I would recommend overall, like I said, I think it, it, it's interesting enough that like if you think it's your thing, check it out because it, it might very well work for you as, as it did for a lot of people. But. I, I still find myself with a couple caveats myself. So this next movie is it's kind of funny because this next movie has sounds pretty the serious. Best reviews of what we've talked about this week, uh, even though it has fewer reviews counted to be uh, technical um, in terms of one of only five in, I should say. And it's also the longest. This movie is 111 minutes long. And I know, listener, I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Two that hours. must mean Will Ashton didn't watch it. And you're right. Will did not watch this movie. I watched Birds on Bathroom. <laughs> to be fair, I reached out to you and was like, hey, is there a chance I could see this film? Because right, I was interested. Yeah. 
the screener expired. I, I would have sent it to you. Yeah, you were like the time had passed. And it's like, okay. So it wasn't like I had the chance to see it. Yeah, yeah. And it went away. I, I was willing to check it out and it just didn't work out. So you, you saw and I didn't. That's right. That's right. So I was going to say that, Will. I wasn't going to fully throw you under the bus. I was just going to have a little fun. But yes, this movie is currently only playing in drive-in theaters and limited release. It's not available on VOD last I checked. So it's it's a little tougher to get to. But I did see a screener. So I, I mentioned it on the show before already. But yeah, I did watch Words on Bathroom Walls a while back. And the reason was because they moved the embargo. It was actually supposed to release a bit sooner and so i had already seen it and done the review and everything but then we found out no the embargo got pushed and then, so now we're talking about it and uh yeah i did a written review for this on cinemaholics.com but just to sort of like recap uh this new movie is directed by thor frudenthal who you would probably remember from diary of a wimpy kid and percy jackson too the sea of monsters probably butchering the name of that movie but you kind of get the idea and so this movie is kind of like taking the teenage coming of age drama and you know the kind of thing that's like based on a book in this case uh words on bathroom walls by julia walton where you have like the sort of fault in our stars five feet apart kind of dynamic where people fall in love but the problem is the teenager has a condition that prevents him from being quote unquote normal and that teenager is named adam who is played by charlie plummer we remember from Lean on Pete, All the Money in the World. And he sort of has an issue where he gets kicked out of school because he's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And he has an episode where he accidentally hurts another student. So he has to start going to a Catholic school. And he kind of sparks like a potential relationship with uh, one of the, the girls at school played by Taylor Russell. Now, there's this whole romance thing with them. And the first thing I'm going to say is like, no. This is not as good as the romance in Waves that we get with Taylor Russell, but it is very similar. But it's similar to a fault because if you watched Waves, you might have a hard time believing this relationship because it's just weird because there are so many red flags that Taylor Russell's character gets without knowing that he has schizophrenia. So he's hiding it, but then he does terrible things to her, but then we don't know. She doesn't know why. And yet she still loves him. And there's, there's certain things that happen that I think are probably more elegantly handled in the book. And, but that, that is like the big criticism, criticism of this movie. Basically everything else is pretty decent. I actually think this movie is um, a positive thing for the mental health community, for people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia and who are probably sick and tired of movies and TV shows, always portraying them as like dangerous criminals. And it does that it does tell a new kind of story of a person who has this condition without sort of like skirting around the limitations and the, the difficulties of it and how you watch Charlie Plummer's character, Adam struggle with how, you know, if I take my medication, like there are actual trade-offs, like it doesn't solve all my problems. Love doesn't solve all my problems. Like I still have to figure out how to deal with this thing. And then you also have some drama where his mom played by Molly Parker starts you know, dating this guy played by Walton Goggins. And he feels like she's trying to start like a new family without him. And all the while his schizophrenia manifests in a very cinematic way in a sense where the voices he hears show up as real people. And the movie sort of addresses that this is a very unique thing. Um, so you'll probably remember, you know, speaking of Russell Crowe, like a beautiful mind, that kind of thing. And these characters, one of them is played by Anna Sophia Robb, for example, 
Um, there's there's a few others uh, that you might recognize from movies here and there. Um, I, I didn't I didn't remember off the top of my head, but I, I think one of them was uh, Devin Bostic, who some people might remember um, from uh, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I think the first, second, and ma- he plays Roderick. I don't know which ones he was in, but yeah, he's in this. But anyway, we also have Andy Garcia, who plays a priest who sort of like tries to help Adam, but he's kind of like he's also in the dark. And he sort of just sort of gives out platitudes. So this movie is also kind of about like how to like how religion can kind of like be a factor in uh, the difficulties that like teenagers have when they sort of reach this like existential part of their lives where they have to reckon with, you know, how complicated and messy life is and how adults are always going to let them down with sort of the black and white teaching of religion. I think that's where this movie is probably at its strongest is the cinematography and the storytelling just through like the way it portrays the Catholic church in a way to tell a story about how there are no easy answers, even though religion is sort of something that at first glance is like, well, there's easy answers. You just have to, you know, be a Christian and then everything's going to work out. But then it's sort of being like, no, that's not, you know, really what the gist of life is. There's a lot more to it than I'm not saying that that's like what Christians profess, but it can sort of be how it's perceived by some people. And so that's something I really appreciate about this movie is it gets that point across in a way that's not super in your face. And if the romance was just a little bit stronger, if we hadn't seen a much stronger, more believable and natural romance grow out of like teenagers dealing with like really deep seated traumas uh, in a movie like Waves, then I would probably be way more into this. Uh, But as it stands, I think that's pretty, it it is pretty decent. And uh, I I was, I was a fan of a lot of it. I was actually impressed too by the music. Uh, Chainsmokers and Andrew Hollander did the music. And when I know like when they were bragging about that in the trailer, that was a huge red flag. So I was like, if your movie is bragging about music being composed by the Chainsmokers, who by the way, have never composed a film score before. This is their first one. That kind of was like, Hmm, they're bragging about that. That could be a bad sign, but my skepticism was misplaced. It's actually a pretty decent soundtrack. And it's, you know, it's, I think the Chainsmokers actually do pretty well here. I, I think it was a good fit for them to do, sort of like infuse music that uh, I shouldn't say that like I know what the kids are listening to. So maybe to like t- actual teenagers, they'd be like, uh, this is pretty dumb. This is like, you know, boomer music or something. I don't know. Maybe they'll hate it. But I know for me, it came off to me as, uh, if not authentic, fitting um, based on my based on my read of how high school is these days, which is probably very limited. But anyway, words on bathroom walls. I think it's a, it's a decent watch. It was on VOD. I would readily recommend it, but I definitely do not recommend risking your life or the life of other people to go see this in a theater. That is certainly not what you should do. Uh, wait until it's at either at a drive-in or you can check it out on demand if you're interested. And uh, yeah, save, unless you're one of our international friends who where your theaters are open and I'm mainly talking to Americans here. And, and if you're in a country where it's unsafe, to be in like indoor spaces i know there's a few around the world but not many and uh yeah other than that i think you should be good to check this out but again it is pretty long 111 minutes probably didn't need to be that long (laughs) probably could have been uh, a little bit leaner but it's it's not it's not too bad i I wasn't uh there was no point in this movie where i was really taken out of it and like can they just finish this already i was pretty much with it the whole time so that's words on bathroom walls uh i'm actually like a really low b on it um, I'm probably going to go actually with like a high B minus. I, I think that it, it, it's almost in the B territory, but I, I do have to knock it a bit for the romance, just not really being up to par. And I think that will get in the way of some people who might enjoy this. And I should say, you know, there could be some people who watch this and they don't appreciate the way that it 
tackles mental illness. I, I really can only speak from my pretty limited perspective. I don't know if it's really portraying this in a way that uh, will actually resonate with people. So uh, my grade is kind of tentative right now. I, I do want to read up on what other critics are saying about it. I haven't seen any yet from people who might be able to watch this with like that in mind to be like, Hey, you know, you know, maybe it does a good job of this. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, I'm not aware as of right now, but right now on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 82%. So a uh, pretty, pretty high average among people who watched it. Uh, only 44 reviews though, from what I'm seeing right now. So not a bad movie to check out during quarantine. And will I, I, I won't say that it's like a must watch for you, but uh, if you do check it out, I, I would be curious to see what you think. I mean, I do think Charlie Plummer is a pretty talented young actor, and I haven't seen everything he's done, but the things I have seen him in, he he does seem to be a pretty genuine and natural actor in a way that I really appreciate. So, you know, I'm not opposed to it. Like I said, if I had access to a screener, I probably would have checked it out. Okay. But last, <laughs> uh, that was the you cards had, for me. There's somebody who looked out for you. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, no, I don't think it's like something it would have been like for me to begin with, but uh, I am glad that exists. It seems like it'll hopefully do some good. So I'm glad to hear that. All right. That'll do it for this week's show next week. Here's what we got on the line. Now, Tenet, uh, as our friends, Kevin Cooper already talked about, it's already pl- going to be playing internationally in a few countries overseas, including well, Australia. It's already, yeah, it's already in Australia, right? I think it, and I think it expands its release on the 26th, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. So it's going to be hitting a lot more countries, but it's not going to be in the U.S. quite yet. It's going to be a while before we're going to be able to review Tenet. So apologies for our listeners overseas. You're going to have to wait a little while to hear what we have to uh, say. But I'm sure there are, of course, plenty of other outlets yeah. that will have access to it before we do. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, they might, you know, push the release date back even farther for all we who knows. Know. Yeah, I, I think it'll at least hit the drive-in. I, I'm fairly confident that is going to happen. Um, like I think they are setting the dates at this point. But on that note, same thing goes for The New Mutants, which is going to be in the drive-in theaters in Northern California, at least, and all over the country, really. Uh, that is finally the X-Men movie to end all X-Men movies. And I just mean that literally, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, 20th Century mm-hmm. Studios. This is the contractual obligation film that they couldn't just put on Disney Plus because lawyers. And it's like a horror film that includes like the Marvel X-Men characters known as the New Mutants. Some of them you probably don't know unless you read the comics. And it's a cast of characters who look way younger than they actually are right now because this movie was made a long time ago and it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. Uh, the Disney Fox merger is to blame for that, but also because I don't think this either studio really had a lot of faith in this. And uh, I have seen the first well, five Disney minutes, certain. which is on YouTube. Hmm? Oh, okay. I said Disney certainly doesn't have any faith in this. I can't sure. speak for 20th Century Fox. Yeah, I, I don't think they had a ton of faith in it either, but that is a harder thing to say. Now, this was directed by Josh Boone. We'll hopefully be able to talk about it next week, assuming our screenings actually happen. Um, I don't know because of the fires if our drive-ins are going to be open, but we'll see. Uh, hopefully, at least one of us will be able to check it out. Because Maisie Williams, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Heaton, um, Alice Braga, Henry Zaga, Blue Hunt, uh, quite a quite a ragtag group of kids. Yeah, I mean, I think either way, though, we will be able to talk about the next film that you're going to talk about. If, if New Mutants doesn't end up being our future review, then the next one certainly will. Most likely, yes. Yeah. Uh, the other the other film that is definitely on our radar that we are looking to see is Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, this is going to be hitting VOD this weekend. This is the third Bill and Ted film. Long awaited. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'll be in some theaters as well, but uh, some drive-in theaters. But I haven't mm-hmm. seen any showtime, so at least not in this area yet. 
Now, this is a sequel, of course, to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which was a whopping 30-ish years ago, almost 30 years ago. And we're going to see uh, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves reprise their roles. They're back. And I'm super excited. I, I've always really loved these movies. And I, I love the cast that they have, like the newcomers. They have like Samara Weaving, for example, uh, Jillian Bell. There's also like Kid Cudi is apparently in this and Jayma Mays, Anthony Kerrigan. It's it's a crazy cast. So I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing Bill and Ted finally face the music. Yeah, I mean, I think they nailed the casting uh, for sure with the new newcomers. So uh, I'm excited for sure. There's also personal history of David Copperfield. We will for sure be talking yeah. about this one. Uh, we both have a screener for it, so we're going to be seeing it this week. This is coming from Searchlight, which is weird because it's like Searchlight and 20th Century were both Fox studios, and now they have like the same thing is kind of coming. Now, this was supposed to be in theaters, and I think it is in a limited release, but I don't know if it's at drive-ins. I definitely I don't, don't think, think it's it on demand. No. I think it's just going to select theaters, if I'm not mistaken. This is the new film written and directed by Armando Iannucci, uh, his follow-up to Death of Stalin, and it's based on David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, which is like, I don't know, 170 years old or something like that. Uh, Deb Patel is the main actor, uh, but we also have Daisy May Cooper, Hugh Laurie, Tilda Swinton, Ben Wishaw, Paul Whitehouse, great cast. Uh, this premiered at TIFF last year, and I'm pretty excited about it. I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I definitely really enjoyed uh, Death of Stalin and... Uh... I really like the thick of it and uh, in the loop. So I'm excited for this. Rush through the last few of these, but we do have a new Netflix movie. It's like a documentary called Rising Phoenix, which is about the history of the Paralympic Games. And then there's going to be uh, two new video on demand films, one from Lionsgate, which is called Rogue, which is an action film starring Megan Fox, and then Centrigrade, which is IFC Midnight. And that's a survivor thriller film that I don't really honestly know much about it. So that's directed by Brendan Walsh and people are in it who I don't, I don't know a lot of them. I think I know Genesis Rodriguez, um, but that's about it. So two, two indie films are, are going to be coming out as well. I don't know if either of us are going to be able to catch them. Yeah. And I also know, um, I know this was, I'm only bringing this up because I think a commenter brought it up, but uh, Mathis and Maxine is hitting movie on Friday as well. So um, oh, on Friday, really? Yeah, so I don't know if they're going to do that thing where it's like free on Friday or whatever, or um, they'll just have it available through the service. But either way, I'll definitely try to check that one out to talk about. So, As always, there's plenty of other things that are going to be coming out that we're not even aware of or we're forgetting. Um, but until then, we will see you on the main show, hopefully with some fresh reviews for you all. Keep an ear out for Extra Milestone this coming week. It's going to be a good one with Jason Reed. Can't wait for you all to hear that one. It's going to be a good time, of course. From the Internet California, I am John Negroni. And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.